We all avoid or dread having difficult and uncomfortable conversations, particularly when it comes to money, our finances, sex, and relationships. Our guest today is Dr. Jolie Hamilton, who believes that everything is talk about. If we know that that's true, how do we have a structure and how do we prepare where we're not dreading to have these conversations? You and I know that making smart financial decisions can be challenging. But in 21st century, financial freedom is no longer just for the 1% wealthy. It is for you and me. The question is, how do we find time, avoid making painful mistakes, and find the best resources to help us reach our financial goals? Join me on my journey helping busy families figure out how they can gain financial confidence and clarity, get actionable tips, and learn from the best experts on how to stop trading time for money. It is now the time you started living your best financial life. My name is Anna Sherbunina, and welcome to the Money Boss Podcast. Hello, Money Bosses. Annie's here, and welcome back to the Money Boss Podcast. I want to talk about how to have uncomfortable conversations. Dr. Julie Hamilton is a research psychologist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and certified sex educator. Over two decades, Julie started more than 10 business ventures, ranging from closing design, personal training, location doula services, while managing her own personal relationships, pursuing her graduate degrees, and raising seven kids. Wow. Dolly, welcome <laughs> to the show. Thank you so much, Anna. I'm really happy to be here and to talk to your audience because uncomfortable conversations is such a great skill set to develop, and there's always room to learn more about it. That's very true. And that's why I know there's, you know, there's this notion that you're not supposed to talk about money. You're not supposed to talk about sex. You're not supposed to talk about religion. But those, all of those topics are like so important, so necessary. And then relationships, of course, right. for us to have conversations about. So I am excited for this too. And especially in context of finances, I think relationships, right, could be different if we learn how to have those conversations where you're not really comfortable bringing up a subject. One of the things I love about what you say is uh, this phrase, and it says, everything is talk aboutable. If we have that notion in our head, let's build on that. How do we transition of, you know, from a place of not being comfortable, and we know that we can talk about anything, where do we begin? Yeah. So I took that idea of everything being talk aboutable from a Mr. Rogers phrase, <laughs> like the little kids show Mr. Rogers, where he's like, He's looking at a small child and he's like, really, everything is mentionable. Everything can be brought to the table. And I heard that as a child, but I didn't necessarily see it played out right in my life. And so I internalized a bunch of things that weren't actually talkaboutable. And when I grew up, I came across that phrase again and I realized, oh, there's the difference between having an intentional relationship where I could open up space to literally invent anything I want by just talking, or I could imagine that there really are things that are too taboo to mention, and that there are things that will hurt other people if I simply utter them. It's not necessarily the easiest thing to get to a space where we create like that, like a culture of our, our house and our, our work environment where we can talk about everything. But the little steps that we take to make that cultural shift, they add up to 
a complete reinvent. Like, and really anything is possible if we can talk about it. I want all of our listeners to kind of keep that in the back of their head. And there's never a question that is, you know, dumb or, you know, how people say, especially clients, like, I have this really stupid question. No, there's no such thing. It's a question. It is something that you concerned about. Let's talk. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And in money and sex in particular, I find that those two, we often presume that we should already know a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And yet most of us were offered no education on either of them, or the education we got was not enough and didn't actually come to us at a time when we were ready to ask the questions, right? So if you did get some money or sexuality education, were you managing a business? Were you managing household finances? Were you having sex at the time? Because often we get them beforehand. What questions are you going to ask? So it's totally normal to have what you think of as a beginner's level question No matter what age you are, no matter how advanced you are, I still have beginner's level questions that I ask my colleagues all the time. And that's the joy of having conversations that can just be about anything. Yeah, no, I love that. You really make a good point. We have friends over, you know, over the holidays and their daughter is 11. And, you know, my girlfriend was complaining about how she wasn't happy quite with, you know, the introductory class that she had on sex ed. And we're like laughing, going back about like, do you remember when we were, you know, 11? And do you remember that class and what it was? I'm like, yeah, I actually still have that picture because they showed <laughs> the labor. And like, oh, that's what it had. Like, I mean, was- that's what you're going to talk about. We're 11. Yeah. yeah. So what questions are you right? What questions can I ask? I'm like, oh, I don't think I want to do that ever. Right. So yeah. Same thing right. with finances. I talk about this and this is really like my mission has been for the longest time is to have these conversations and talk about all of the, you know, different subjects and, and really educate people because I didn't have any education, you know, on either growing up, there was not a requirement and I have a, a business degree with concentration in finance, right? And still didn't get it. So right. <laughs> there's the thing. I, there are very few courses in relationships or sexuality. And that goes for people who deliver babies, that goes for therapists, that goes for our doctors. And yet, who are we sent to, to ask the questions? We're sent to these people. They don't get the training either, most of them. And so really what we have to do is decide that it's okay to have these conversations everywhere at any time and to just have the the conversation start happening in so many places that we actually make a cultural shift into, oh, yeah, you know what? There's nothing to be ashamed about when we're talking about our finances, our sexuality, our wants, our desires. Like, cause that's really, I think that's where money and sex, they come so close together because we're talking about desire. What do we want out of life and how do we feel safe? And, and so if we can talk about these things, we can create a sense of safety and security and enjoyment and pleasure. And most people instead wind up in places where they feel shame or fear. That's what we want to avoid. Yeah, agree. So one of the things that I think, and really in order to prepare for our conversation, and thank you so much for sending me your book. We'll talk about that too. I mean, just just simply, right? Anybody can do that. Just Google the question, right? How to have uncomfortable conversations. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so I saw like a whole bunch of checklists and things that you can do, you know, do this, do that, you know. And so it's great, right? That's kind of like surface level understanding and you know, first steps to explore this topic. In your book, Project Relationship, you mentioned that in order to kind of like begin this journey, right, whichever area you're really thinking about, the self-awareness part is really crucial. 
can we talk a little bit how that helped you in your own work on, you know, understanding yourself and, you know, and working on all of these areas? Because I'm sure you're not an exception to all of it. I am not. Exactly. I care about this because it wasn't easy for me. I consider myself a pretty outgoing person, but it doesn't matter what kind of person you are. Self-awareness is actually hard to come by. The research shows us that most people think they're self-aware. And by far, most people have huge gaps in their self-understanding. And one of the problems, one of the reasons why that's true is because we're always changing. We grow, we change, we're evolving. And so I focus on self-awareness because if I remember to come back to that, then I start having all my conversations from a place where I'm making fewer assumptions about other people and focused on, hey, what do I know to be true and what questions do I have? And I start from a a self-centered place, not self-centered, but a centered place. I'm right in my own self. That is, for me, the transition from having, I used to have conversations and I think many people are experienced this. I used to have hard conversations by talking about how I felt first. I would talk about the way that I was feeling when I was trying to solve a problem. And that didn't necessarily work because what would happen if I was talking about something like money or sex or religion or politics, I would, I would get into this feelings place first, right up front and not realize, not show myself kindness and some compassion for, okay, this is all feelings level stuff. And actually you have a question you want answered, or you need to come to a, some sort of collaborative decision with a person. And so I had to start getting aware of how I actually felt before I was having these conversations. It's about allowing yourself to take some time to feel and think through your side of the conversation before you have it. And that sounds really simple, but we skip it so frequently and we just jump right into the problem solving mode. Jumping too fast, we tend to jump in when we're either heated or it just feels like it's a super urgent thing that needs an answer, right? So I like to remind people to set up for success by actually designing the conversation. So rather than just having a tough conversation, an uncomfortable conversation, which will tend to happen at a time when we're uncomfortable, we set up for success by getting clear on exactly what we want out of the conversation first. So we have to bring that self-awareness first. You're right. Like in these moments when you're, especially when you're rushing or where you're not even realizing you're about to have a conversation that you don't want to have, or if you're confronting someone, is there a difference between when you're, you know, and this may happen really quick in your, in, you know, in your mind, right? When you're ready to have a good, you know, pleasant conversation versus uncomfortable. Is there a difference in, in like the self-awareness part? Yeah, there is. And there's also a somatic difference. So here we exist. We're creatures in bodies, right? So I have this experience of being in my body. And if I have a conversation where I need to either yeah, confront someone, bring up something I am personally uncomfortable with, or I have to ask for something that happens to be tinged with maybe a little shame or confusion, I may be having body sensations that are sending me into fear states. I may be experiencing a desire to fight or flee. <laughs> I may want to act in opposition to actually having a conversation, right? And so when we're talking about self-awareness, we shouldn't be just focusing on what we're thinking, just what's in our mind, but also how am I in my body right now? What's going on for me? 
I like to take a chance to just have five good breaths before I start having a conversation. I got that idea from a teacher of mine, Pam Victor, who she, she said, take the time to find five good breaths. And it might take you 15 breaths to get five good ones, right? Really get back into your body, soothe yourself enough so that you can be coming into the conversation without the sensations of fear muddying the waters. I found the breathing exercises are helpful too. I have a two and a half year old and I know your mom of seven. So you definitely take some deep breath. And it's actually really, I I did not know that still consider myself a very new mom. He actually was doing that just like, you know, when we're playing and I noticed, I'm like, why are you taking deep breath? And then I asked, obviously daycare and I'm like, well, that's one of the techniques to help him calm down. So I'm like, great. Yes. Take some deep breath because then we can avoid the tantrum. We can avoid the, you know, the blowout and just like all of it. Exactly. I, I took my, um, when my oldest was little, so she's almost 22 now. I taught her to, I would hold up one finger and I would say, blow this out. It's a candle, blow it out. If she was having a tantrum, especially someplace public. And that would help her focus on not just the in-breath, but then letting all the air come out and it would slow everything down. And I realized that it was as much for me as it was for her. In that moment, when she was doing it, I would breathe with her, right? And we would blow the candle out. And now we both had more sense in our heads. It's a much better place to start from. Oh my gosh, I love it. Okay, I'm going to try it. Does that work when when you tell them to do something and they say no? (laughs) You know what? No is a funny word. I always found that kids want more help than they let on, right? So sometimes they won't say yes, but they'll do the thing anyways, because they do want your help. Oh gosh, I kind of miss those days, but I know when you're in the throes of it, it's hard to imagine missing them, right? Oh, I know. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll think that, you know, when he is 22, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My babies are freshmen in high school, all three of them. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, yeah, that's a lot. I mean, a lot of time for me there. So as we're in this awareness phase, when you, and I mean, that's kind of transition into really seeing yourself as you approach the uncomfortable conversation and, you know, whatever it is, you know, it, whether it's a financial topic or a relationship question that you're trying to confront somebody, what is this idea of like, when you respond, right. And as opposed to like reacting to something, is this a state that you can control? Is it the state that you can kind of jump out of and come back? What are your thoughts? Yeah. Okay. So responding versus reacting is a great concept And I think we can start by simply checking our language. So even now, as you ask the question, when we think about confronting someone, we shift into an adversarial position, right? Confrontation. It says that you have one view and I have another. And now there's a bit of a chasm between us. There's a gap, right? And so we could even just start by shifting the language and saying, so I need to have communication. I need to have this important conversation with you. And let's get on the same side by remembering each of us that if we're starting to feel reactive, reactivity is because it's touching something in us that might not have anything to do with the issue at hand. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to have a reaction. We don't have to say exactly what comes to mind that second. So sometimes what has to happen is we have to slow the pace of the whole conversation down so that we have a chance to respond to each peace as we bring it. And this is where planning for the conversation really helps. And if we're getting into a conversation and the other person doesn't know that we're going to have it, 
that's tricky, right? So you may plan for a successful conversation, but if you plan to have a successful conversation with your partner and they walk in the door at 6 p.m. after a busy day and they don't know you've been planning this conversation, now we have an opportunity to create space for them to also get on board, get on the same team and move away from, yeah, a reactive state. Because you're right, reactivity is not, it's not an ideal place to act from. It tends to be explosive, just like it sounds. Right. (laughs) Hey, money bosses, are you ready to get your financial life in order? Once and for all, as soon as possible? Are you tired of living paycheck to paycheck? Do you often lose track of how much money you have to spend? Do you want to get your financial life together, but just don't quite know how? I am with you. I've been there. I've struggled through all of these. And I know you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to get better. So why do you continue to struggle? I know you can get your own money in order. It took me years to figure out. It took me years of pain, struggle, frustration, anger. But you don't have to go through all of that. You don't even have to get a financial planning degree like I did in order to be successful. Allow me to present to you my Money Flow system, a free playbook of how you can automate your finances, even if you hate budgeting. After you download this free playbook, you will never have to worry about budgeting. And who likes that budgeting thing anyway? You will stop accumulating debt and create a bulletproof plan of how to quickly pay it off. You will be able to pinpoint exactly what your income and expenses are. You will never have to miss a single bill again. And you will always, always have a solid idea of how much money is in each of your accounts. So head over to money-flowsystem.com to download my free Money Flow Playbook, a blueprint to streamline your finances in less of five weeks. Guaranteed. Head over to money-flowsystem.com. Other steps that you recommend for folks to utilize to have that uncomfortable conversation? And one, you know, one particular kind of in terms of finances, right? Like I I see a lot of the, you know, the dynamic with clients when we're, you know, and when we're sitting down to look at their spending and kind of like all of the finances are going, especially like if there's debt present and maybe one person is uh, considers himself to be a saver, the other is a spender. And so like, you know, wh- how do you initiate this dialogue between the two, especially as, you know, me being the third person or like with a professional when you have a situation like that? Yeah. So closing gaps is easier if we can build shared meaning. So if you have people who see themselves in different ways, that can be okay. Like if you have a saver and a spender, if you have somebody who has a high sex drive and somebody who has a lower sex drive, right? When we have these gaps, if we can find a way to create shared meaning around the the underlying value that we have. So for instance, what comes up a lot with my clients is, okay, we have a shared value of creating a happy, healthy home for our children to grow up in. Cool. Awesome. We may have different ways that we approach that, but if we can have that underlying value, now we're set up for having something to come back to when things feel like we get into that adversarial position. And that also helps me to not triangulate with my clients because 
if you're working with a couple in particular, and they have very divergent ways of working with a particular issue, it's really easy for them to hope that you will act as the judge and say which one of them is right. And that is that is a trap. <laughs> no, I've never, yeah, I, I avoid those things. I mean, yeah, never take anybody's yeah. <laughs> side. Sure. I go back. One of the tools that's helpful in this context too is like help them understand like where their money story comes from. Like why yeah. are they doing certain things? I'm sure there's probably a similar thing you do with with your clients, but like where's the seeding from? Why do you, you know, why does somebody view spending as a as a thing to do if, like you said, we have a common goal, we want to retire, you know, on time, we want to send our kids to college, whatever, you know, whatever that common goal is. Right. I always ask my clients to start bringing awareness to the models that they had for relationship. And that, that this affects every aspect of our life, everything, what models we had. And that doesn't necessarily just mean our parents, whoever was modeling, relating for us, We generally just act out that same story again. So what happens is you have two different people. Now they're acting out their parental marriage, the the, the story that they saw. So in my case, for instance, my mom was bipolar and spent like a maniac (laughs) and spent into bankruptcy several times. My father's reaction to that was to close his eyes. So this is what I witnessed. So when I grew up, one of the first things I had to get a hold of and it I say first, but it took 15 years, was that neither one of those extremes, closing your eyes nor spending in a way that you could not support, neither of them was going to work. And yet, time and time again, I would find myself in a fight with my partner and taking that same familiar position of overspending and closing my eyes. I was somehow doing both the things my parents did, right? And my partner was acting out what his parents did. And so we had to figure out how to become aware of those stories so that we could now choose a different one. And that's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And most of us think that whatever we were raised in, even if we know it was dysfunctional, we still tend to normalize it, right? We can think it was super messed up and still it's the norm for us. So that's where, again, self-awareness figuring out what your money story was, figuring out where shame is attached to sex or love. Those are core stories that if we get aware of them, now we can actively create a reality that we want instead of living out a life that was, well, it just belonged to someone else. Yeah. I can definitely see the parallels here for sure. So, okay. So how do we have these conversations where we are not comfortable to ask a question or even, you know, confront someone? Yeah. So I like to set up for success first by just checking in with HALT. So HALT is a great acronym to remember because it's, is anybody hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? (laughs) If you check in with, I mean, I do that with toddlers too. (laughs) If I'm babysitting a toddler, I do not ask them to do complex tasks. If anybody is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, which means good planning. Sometimes we have urgent decisions that have to be made, but most of the time, uncomfortable conversations can actually be had in a fashion where it's planned. So I I set up for success by checking for those four things and addressing them, just addressing the need. Loneliness, for instance, can be really helped by simply changing the music that's on in the house or sharing a hug, like a two-minute face-to-face, like, okay, we're just going to, let's just hug, let's be together, let's center together. Or we can change loneliness by actively looking each other in the eye and seeing that we're, we're here. We showed up for this thing. And so all of those things, those like little, those little bits of fixing. I also put out snacks. 
because nobody needs to be hungry. Well, <laughs> a veggie tray is very helpful for an uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> when we take care of those basic needs, it also shows our partner how much we we really want to show up for them. We know that this is going to be a tougher conversation and we're here. We showed up. We're collaborating on creating the best outcome we can, even though it's not super easy. The other thing to do is to prepare your partner for what you're looking for. This is like the first part of the conversation. If I have to, for instance, handle a partner who maybe isn't using words that are helpful to me, maybe they're being a little overly critical, overly harsh, especially when I bring them new ideas. Like recently, my business has been growing by leaps and bounds, and that's great, but I also have problems. Like growing by leaps and bounds is, it's trouble some days, right? And if I go to my partner and I and I want support for that, and I need even to ask questions of him because we collaborate on some of this stuff, if I don't tell him whether I want cheerleading or help fixing, problem solving, he's going to default to problem solving. And if he defaults to problem solving, I may now jump into a reactive story where I think he's insinuating that I'm dumb or I can't handle this, right? Now we're in that back and forth reactivity. So the very first thing I do after I've taken care of hungry, angry, lonely, and tired is I have a conversation I'd like to have. And here's what I would love from you. I would love for you to offer me your support. And I'll actually go so far as to say what I really need is for you to problem solve just this part with me. So if there's something very specific, like here's, I'll define it very clearly and say, and I would like us to do one last thing. I'd like us to have our safe word in place. If some people may be familiar with the the phrase safe word, if they have any kind of creative life in the bedroom, (laughs) a safe word is something we hear usually attached to like, oh, we're going to try something new in the bedroom and we want to have a way to tell our partner to stop what they're doing. Safe words are great for uncomfortable conversations. I use the word marmalade because it belongs nowhere. (laughs) Like I never need to say the word marmalade. So if things start going into that reactive place, my partner and I both know either one of us can say, you know what, marmalade, let's let's stop. We're going to stop. We're going to take a five minute break. We change the context. We either go for a walk or we go to separate corners and and read or whatever we need to do to to calm the situation down, then we come back together and figure out. So the trick is to use that safe word and agree when you're coming back to the conversation. But can you see here how the, the conversation really needs designing? And most of us just go in, and this was me too. We go in with just like, okay, I'm just gonna talk. This is my partner. We'll be fine. Except we're not fine. So often we are fighting fights that don't need to happen at all. Because we really do want the same thing. It's just approaching. Yes. I love the suggestion of the safe words to sort yeah. of, okay, we, we timed it out. It, and, you know, everything, it, it's, it sounds like definitely implementable. Yeah. <laughs> Talk aboutable. <laughs> I just made up another word. So, and again, like you said, there could be moments where you just like, you know, something is happening and you want to just like address it real quick, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just like get it out of the way. How do you, if you find yourself in the moment of this, what are some things other than, you know, the taking the breath that we talked about? What are some things that you can, how do you pivot? Yeah. Conversation to make it more loving, more pleasing, more interesting. Yeah. So there's a gray zone there, right? Where, okay, we don't necessarily need to totally stop this conversation, but I can see that we're going down a road that isn't helpful. 
it's really useful in that moment to just simply revisit the topic at hand. Wait, what problem were we trying to solve? And that's why when I start a conversation like this, I write down what it was just on a post-it note. I just take a post-it note and I write down what it was I was trying to solve. Because usually when we've gotten at, at odd angles to each other, it's because we're actually talking about two different things. We've sort of separated and we're not really trying to solve the same problem anymore. And if it's about a disagreement where we actively disagree, cool, that's fine. It's okay to disagree at that point. And this is where I get a little controversial. That's why knowing that we're going to disagree sometimes, we need to know who's in charge of what. Mm. When it comes to finances, for instance, in my family, we have a hierarchy. We know which one of us is going to make the final decision when it comes to a particular set. So, like, we and we each handle different parts of it. So, we meet, we discuss these things all together. And then at the end of the day, because I run the businesses, I make the decisions. That was hard to come to, to decide that we needed a CEO mindset in our household. When it comes to parenting, this happens all the time. One person winds up with the final vote. And what I find is, of course they do, because one person winds up being in the room when the problem happens, right? This is about setting up a tone, a mood in your relationship where, yeah, somebody had to make the decision. And you might not always agree. So now how do we get back on the same page about our values? And if that means we need to change a decision, if we need to now make a new, a new move, if we need to do something different, cool. Everything's talk aboutable and everything's negotiable. So while there are these decisions that just have to be made and have to happen, that doesn't mean that we don't come back and have this conversation again in a week or a month or a year. I'm a big fan of renegotiation. <laughs> I mean, I was going to ask that next is, okay, so you, it's not that you're only going to have this conversation once it's going to happen. So if you throughout the conversation, if you didn't find, you know, the answers or you did not agree on something, or it feels like that's that safe word that you were talking about, you know, how do you come back to that? Is yeah. that same kind of a process as you begin it? Yeah. So, you know, I think most people forget that it's okay to ask for help. So you exist, right? Your business exists because you know, people need help with this stuff. It's normal to need not just an expert, an expert, yes, and a watcher, somebody to come in and take a look at what's going on, because that can give you one time to revisit. You schedule an appointment. Now you know when you're going to revisit this thing. But also, we tend to bring a sort of professionality to the room when a third person is in it. And that professionality, so I teach entrepreneurs how to bring their entrepreneurial skills to bear on their relationships because it's a huge benefit. So when you bring that sort of, wait, professionalism requires me to find ways to compromise, ways to move forward in the face of disagreement. Why do I not do that at home? Why am I unwilling? Yeah. It's, it's you know, so adding that professional layer can help me remember, oh, right, right. I am not actually a 17-year-old who just makes decisions willy-nilly and doesn't have, you know, isn't accountable to anyone. I am a grown-up making a house with another person, raising children with another person. We are not always going to agree. And setting a time to revisit things when it's not an emergency is probably the top skill that I ask people to put in place. Like just put this practice in place. For instance, I renegotiate my relationship agreement every year. Every single year, we go back to the book 
and we write down what are we doing? What, what are our agreements? Every quarter, we revisit our finances. Every three years, we revisit the whole structure of our household and whether it's working. Having those things on the books, those, those calendared times to revisit means we're not just dealing with things when it, we're in the moment. And we're like, oh, there's an emergency and I have to deal with this. We're dealing it with a cool temperature. We're just, <laughs> this is just the time when we renegotiate. And that's really helpful. And like, for instance, I never would want to have all of my money talk happening around tax time. I would just, that would not work for me. So we renegotiated about money in late summer. That works for us. When we're relaxed, we're calm, we feel rested. Everybody has to pick for themselves. But I have a client who just realized that they have to renegotiate their sex life like once a month. They need to have a check-in. And it has to be a check-in that's not during the week that she's having her menstrual cycle. Why? She's just not interested then. They change the time. They renegotiate this. They talk about it once a month, not when she's having her cycle. Everything's different. Now it's an open conversation and they're negotiating for something that they both like. Simple as that. She just didn't want to talk about it then. It's funny how we, we forget we're people. It's okay to you know take that into account. We're not robots. Agree. Something that you would like that I've incorporated into, you know, really like being intentional with having these conversations is, especially about money, is I call these money dates. Everybody gets excited around dating, right? And so like, okay, well, let's date your money, right? Whether it's just you and your financial statements and all of that, or it is, you know, in context of your significant other, or it's even bringing someone like me, right? Like people really get serious and intentional when they have to have a meeting with their financial advisor. Great. Why do you not get serious when you have to look at this stuff? (laughs) Totally. But the first thing to do is put it on your calendar. It's real. Just like your client who wants to have a you know renegotiation once a month, I suggest to do it as well for your finances. Yeah. Like really being intentional about it. There's some magic happens too. I've been practicing it for a while and I, I encourage it. It's, it's magical. I think you're totally right. I, so I've been doing a money date for a while and I didn't even realize it. But you mentioned this when we did our pre-call and I thought, Oh, that's what I'd been doing. But you know what it wasn't? It wasn't on my calendar. I'd been kind of practicing it. So I put it on my calendar and you were totally right. Now it's sitting there on my calendar and my husband is invited to it. It's on my Google calendar. So he's invited to it. So I have buy-in from him every week when he clicks the yes, he'll attend. And he just comes in for the last 10 minutes. I review what we've done and there we go. And it's so pleasant. And it is actually, it's kind of like getting, we have coffee while we do it. So it's like a little mini break in the middle of a Thursday. It's great. And the formalization that you offer, like, oh, right there. That's so straightforward. And I do it for my business. Why wasn't I thinking to do it for home? But that's what we forget. This is what I teach all day long. And I still forgot it. I like, I'm great about it for most things, but my household money. All right. Got to take care of all of it. Oh my gosh. I'm glad you mentioned this because it's always coming from me. And yes. And I, and I've had similar similar feedback from clients. Like, this is actually great. You can reschedule it. Like it doesn't have to, like if that day didn't work for you for some reason, great, reschedule it. But as long as it's happening on a recurrent basis, that's That's more, you know, that's better than not doing it at all. Plus then we're not in that emergency mind. (laughs) It's so much better. Where, yeah, where you can avoid uncomfortable conversations. One of the things that I've learned too, in order to be, you know, good at having conversations and just, you know, interacting with people, you have to develop your listening skill. So how do you, apply that. Like if you're, I find that I'm more of a good listener or have, you know, had to become a good listener, especially, you know, being a business owner and now, you know, growing my family. 
and just, you know, just throughout, you know, my life, how do you incorporate that skill into those uncomfortable part of the conversation? Because you want to talk, right? So talking isn't always about words. It's all also about hearing, right? Or listening to what the other person says. Yeah. So as a talker myself, I mean, I'm a Leo. I could talk all day long. <laughs> I find it really helpful to get strategic so that I listen extra well. So I, we actually use an object. We hold a rock. We have this rock in our house and we don't use it all the time. But if we're having a tough conversation, we'll hold the rock and like whoever's holding it is talking. The rock helps me remember to turn my focus back to my partner and not worry about what I'm going to say. My only job while he's holding that rock is to listen to what he's saying. That's it. That's my whole job. It's especially helpful when we're having uncomfortable conversations with all of our kids. I mean, we have seven teenagers in a house. It, that adds up to plenty of discomfort. And it can be easy to have the older voices drown out the younger ones. So giving an object like, nope, we're listening. We're listening to each person's perspective. And it's not about five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. It's not the clock. It's the object lets us come back to, right? Let's just stay with them. And the other thing is, it's just the deepest act of kindness. Mm -hmm. I wasn't trained this way as a child. I had to learn it as an adult. But one of the kindest things we can do for each other is to really, really listen. So. I remind myself and I remind my clients to, to just say, how can I be kind to this person in front of me? And usually the answer is immediately available. Like, oh, by listening, right? Like, how do I be kind to take the focus off of myself and just, right, tune in to what they're actually saying? Now, do you find that that's hard for, especially because you work with entrepreneurs, right? And sort of, you know, like this, maybe it's not entrepreneurs. I don't want to put all entrepreneurs under the bus here. But, you know, those who are in leadership roles, those are creating, kind of, you know, designing, doing all these things that it's more of, okay, um, listening is the harder part. Let's be serious. Entrepreneurs have leadership skills. I don't care whether they're introverted, extroverted, or ambiverted. It doesn't matter. They have leadership skills. And most of us think we can do something. We have the guts to get out there and do something. So, yeah, I think it can be harder, especially if we have a marriage where our partner isn't that way. Like maybe they're happy with their career and, but it's, it's much more of a, a task oriented role. They're not in leadership or perhaps we have a partner who's just really creative and isn't involved in, in climbing the ladder or anything. It's easy to think that we have the answers because we have this strategic mind and we do, but there is a whole other kind of knowing that comes from inhabiting the world differently. So what I've taught my clients to do is if you generally hold a leadership role, remember that there are so many other ways of knowing and you will get better results by listening to these other ways, these other ways of being. You already have the strategic knowledge. You already have all of those skills of being able to reach out and say hard things and connect people. But these other people, and we might be married to these other people because we tend to, they have a different way of seeing things. And that's actually good. So you want to 10X your life? Well, do it by incorporating different viewpoints. You don't need to be told yes to everything. If that's what we needed, we just look in a mirror. We, why would we even bother have this conversation? We would just make decisions unilaterally. But instead, we collaborate. And there's actually a huge benefit to just listening to those, those viewpoints that make us feel a little less than comfortable with our own. 
that's where the magic's going to happen. True, exactly. But the key is listening. Yeah, it totally is. It's hard. I can speak for myself. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you're in the stage where you have little kids, if you're the person spending time at home with them all day, or even just, you know, most of the time, ooh, you may just be so in need of, of talking, like of being able to talk to another adult that it becomes extra challenging. When my own kids were little, I mean, oh goodness, I, I just needed to be the adult in the room. So what I would do is ask for time to just be able to talk like straight through. So I would sit with my partner and we would have a drink and I would just like little, 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 all of it. <laughs> and he didn't actually need to do anything. I would tell him, I'd let him off the hook. It's fine. I don't need you to respond. I just need to be able to talk to a grown up. not about diapers, not about snacks. It's always about the snacks. <laughs> and that let me then come into a place like I would have to download all of that. And then I could get to a spot where I could really deeply listen. And I just had to recognize the fact that while I was in that early parenting phase, I needed to have that time. It changed later. Mm-hmm. They do grow up eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so they say, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm interested for you to share a little bit about the, the project relationship book that you're, you know, train entrepreneurs on all of these things that we're talking about. Yeah. So I would love for people to connect with me by going to my website. And if you want to find the book, you can find it there. It's joliehamilton.com. So J-O-L-I-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N, like the musical, nice and easy. And the book I wrote, Project Relationship, it is designed, I made it an action plan for a reason. The subtitle is The Entrepreneur's Action Plan for Passionate Sustainable Love. My goal was to take my clients and my readers from super successful running their business to super successfully connecting with their partners by using the exact same skills. So it's just a skill transfer process. I walk them through these action steps they can take that really deepen your connection to your partner in ways that most of us just didn't witness when we were younger. And so project relationship is very, it's very action centered and the chapters are not overwhelming, which is my actual favorite part about it. And if people are uncomfortable with some specific part of their life, there's actually a specific chapter on sex, a specific chapter about talking about money. And there are actionable ideas to make a little change and see if that little tweak will get you from where you are to where you want to be. Awesome. I'm enjoying it. I just started reading it. So I will have more comments and questions for you. As I get through it. So for just to close on this topic, like I want to get away from the people thinking about that, the uncomfortable, right? Like that feeling you get like in your butterflies in your stomach. I don't want to talk about this today. Or like, we're going to get to that tomorrow. Like any final thoughts on how do we just like finally stop, stop, stop feeling that way? Oh, yes. So this is probably... Probably the best piece of advice I ever got was from actually a client that I had very early on. And she said that she had sought me out to talk about sex because she had, she didn't even know people talked about that. And so she was terrified before we had our first conversation. She's like, I don't even understand how I'm going to talk to you, let alone my husband. Like, I, I don't know how this is going to happen, but, but you say you can help. So, okay, I'll do it. And she realized that all of it Every bit of that fear that she'd had was released when she realized that I wanted her to succeed. Mm -hmm. So when we think about an uncomfortable conversation, I would encourage you to set down the idea that it's actually uncomfortable and instead think about, I'm going to have a connecting conversation with my partner. My partner is going to get to know me 
better. And this is where changing our language can really allow us to to walk into these situations from a place of positivity, from a place where we're like, oh, right, this is a huge opportunity. Yay. And so if you're feeling those butterflies, you can say, I'm excited because I'm going to get to know my partner better today. I'm excited. This is the same trick I use before I get on a big stage too. You go to give a like a TEDx or something, and you like, you're gonna have butterflies. Tell yourself it's excitement. Tell yourself over and over. And then it will be. Eventually it will be. Practice makes perfect, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been an awesome, awesome interview. Appreciate Thank your time you. today. Thank you. Hey Money Boss, thanks for tuning in today. If this episode did help you, then please be sure to share it with someone else you think will benefit from it too. After all, smart financial decisions are for everyone. Uh, So don't be greedy. I hope I can help you even further by sharing with you how thousands of clients I worked with in my career over the last 16 years created their very own successful financial lives on their terms. It's hard for me to do this over an audio, and if you are ready for the next chapter in your life, then be sure to go to MainStreet-Money.com to get your free resource guide to help you begin correcting top six financial mistakes I see people make all the time, such as not having clear financial goals, not having a handle on spending or saving for the future, not knowing how to get rid of all the debts, and of course, not having a clear strategy or plan on how to protect your hard-earned money. Until next time, remember, you are the boss of your money.